Hey, Peacenicks. Today's guest is Dr. Bethany Halford, science writer and senior correspondent at SINMAG. She's interested in molecules and molecule makers. I really enjoyed talking with Bethany. We had some really cool conversations, some different things. We got to talk about psychedelics and what the future of psychedelics and medicine looks like. Her areas of coverage are chemistry in general, particularly organic chemistry, medicinal chemistry, nanotechnology, and materials science. You're going to love this conversation. I know you will because I did. Before we dive in, some quick business. If you want to try a hemp cigarette that doesn't taste like shit, that's their motto. Go to SugarCali.com and order some creme by sugar hemp cigarettes. It's a great alternative to tobacco. They're nicotine-free. If you're like me, I used to smoke. Sometimes when I have a drink, I, I like to have a cigarette. And I don't have cigarettes, and so sometimes I just don't get to have that satisfaction fulfilled. But since I found these hemp cigarettes, every once in a while, I'll have one. It's not addictive, and they taste delicious. Go to SugarCali.com, enter the offer code PEACE, P-E-A-C-E, PEACE15, get 15% off. Also helps support the podcast. Also, if you like Kratom and you use Kratom, try some from HappyHippoHerbals.com. Go to HappyHippoHerbals.com to order your Kratom. They have all different strains. You can buy shots. You can buy Kratom Taffy. Check out what they have at HappyHippoHerbals.com and enter the offer code THEPEACE15. THEPEACE15 for 15% off your Kratom needs. All right. Dr. Bethany Halfman. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug Drugs abuse. are menacing our society. Your thoughts on the drug problem? I had a great time doing drugs. So tonight, from our family to yours, from our home to yours, thank you for joining us. This is the peace on drugs. On drugs. All right. So, um... So, Dr. Bethany Halford, thank you for being on the Peace on Drugs podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me here, Aaron. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I, I was What got me interested in wanting to have you on was an article on psychedelics. But before we go there, I'd like to talk about a few other things because you, ha- you have a wide range of things that you're involved with and interested in and, and things that I'm interested in that aren't typical for the podcast. And I think that'll be a cool diversion for my listeners. Um, I saw uh, nanotechnology is in your areas of coverage. And um, I was wondering, um, with nanotechnologies, are we talking about like that, the, like I was reading Ray Kurzweil and he's talking about that the future of nanobots being able to be almost injected, like little um, computerized cells that could go in and we could manipulate and fight viruses with and things like that. Are we, how close are we to something like that? We are not very close to something like that. Oh. We're pretty far off. I know it's, it's a bummer. Um, and most of, so I should say I'm a reporter. I'm a chemistry reporter. I write for a magazine called Chemical and Engineering News, which um, I'm sure your readers probably are, or your listeners are probably not that familiar with, um, or maybe they are, but it's a, it's a magazine about chemistry. It comes out, there's an, enough uh, chemistry news to put out a magazine every week, as I tell people. Um, we're like the Sports Illustrated of chemistry. Very cool. Sense. Yeah. Um, and we write about all different types of chemistry and nanotechnology is one of those things that um, fits into our area of coverage. Uh, so I think the idea is about making things really small and how they have different properties when they're really small. Um, 
Like one great example people use is a uh, stained glass windows, right? Um, if you ever have seen like stained glass windows in an ancient cathedral, you may wonder how they got the glass that color. And what they did was they made, took metals like gold and broke it up into such tiny pieces that it completely changes and no longer looks like the gold we recognize, like the gold of your jewelry, but instead has like a really bright color, like a red or a yellow um, or a, you know, or green, just depending on the size of those particles of gold. And they're usually on the nanoscale, which means they're, you know, a, a nanometer wide. So that's, that's more the nanotechnology I write about. Okay. I got you. So we're, so the, the rest of what I'm talking about are the future of even nanobots going in and creating uh, virtual realities in our mind. This is very science fiction at this point. There's no. Yeah, it's still really science fiction. Very like, um, what's that that movie with Raquel Welch? Uh, Incredible Journey. Is that right? Or Fantastic Boy. I, I'm going to mess it up. And I'm sure one of your listeners will, <laughs> yeah. will tune in. But um, yeah. So um, let's see. I'm going to. Go on to the next question then. So I was going to ask the future of the VR and all that stuff. But again, this is science fiction. And I think Ray Kurzweil is a little bit out there with his ideas. He thinks we're a little, we get a lot closer to um, a mortality than we really are and stuff like that. But yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I just was curious your take on that. So um, it says uh, once, a, once upon a time, you were a synthetic, a synthetic organic chemist turning out new molecules. You would tell people you were a sculptor on a very small scale. And I love this. Um, so is there a molecule that you, that you actually created in the lab when you were getting your PhD, something that you created it, that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, that no one had made before. So what I did is um, I worked on analogs of vitamin D. So uh, vitamin D is a molecule, right? And it's a, it's, it's a molecule that we need um, to do things like process calcium. It's like a hormone. It, it does a lot of interesting things in our bodies. And one thing, and I did my PhD a really long time ago, right? I finished in 2002. So I haven't kept up with this area, but um, at that time, people were thinking about um, using vitamin D as an anti-cancer drug. Uh, the idea being that um, it's known to stop cancer cells from growing, from proliferating. But if you give it in high enough doses to do that, it can also make you really sick. It, it leads to something called hypercalcemia. Uh -huh. So the idea was that you tweak the molecule, right? Like take where there's an oxygen on the molecule and put a carbon there instead, or do something like that. Um, you know, tweak its side chain, tweak one of its rings, uh, just, just maybe make a, like, if you imagine a molecule like a tinker toy, peeling off a part and putting on a new one and seeing how that changes it. Um, and you might be able to retain those properties that fight cancer, but get rid of the properties that make it toxic. And there are vitamin D analogs that are used as like um, eczema creams. Um, and so I made a couple of vitamin D analogs um, that got licensed by a pharmaceutical company. Uh, nothing ever came of them. They're not drugs. I do not have a small fortune because, oh, uh, <laughs> because of that. But they, it was it was pretty cool. I had I have a patent on it, and um, and the patent got licensed, so I did get a little money. And um, yeah, you know, the idea that uh, you know someone looked at something I made as possible treatment was very exciting. That is so those cool. are the types of molecules I used to sculpt. Very cool. <laughs> now, when you sculpt them, do you get to name them yourselves, or do you just have a chart by by definition of what you of what where you move the molecules is how they get their name? That's a 
great question. So there's a there is actual there are actual rules for naming molecules. Uh, the International Union of Pure and Applied Chemistry has rules how you name a molecule so it follows the system. So it gets like an IUPAC name. Um, but then we would also name them, you know, in our lab at the time, usually by our initials and then the number of that compound that we made, right? So, or it had, there was some sort of notation. I can't remember what mine were called, BAH something. And uh, and then they would have a little numerical notation on them. Um, I didn't get, and then when they get named by like, if, you know, they become a drug, there's like a whole huge process by which things get named that way. So. Well, that's probably marketing too. They, they test yeah. market for different, some of, some of these names have nothing to do with the, I was reading something about that, about different products throughout the history of America. It was in a Bill Brayson book made in America, but he was saying so, so many things that we think of in our culture are just names that sounded, they were sellable. So I imagine it's like that in the uh, pharmaceutical industry as well. Made in America is such a great book. I love that one. That's a, that's the language book from Bill Bryson. Do you have it? Yeah, I just got it in the mail. I finished the audio book and now I need to do some referencing from a podcast. So it just came in the mail today so I can actually read it physically. When my husband and I were dating, you know, 20 odd years ago, he's Scottish and he gave me that book. He loves Bill Bryson. So I do too. He's one of my favorite. I have writers. a special heart, place in my heart for that book. <laughs> That's great. That's awesome. Um, so this is actually a good segue too. When you're talking about vitamin D into the psychedelic talk, because that of manipulating molecules to get the negative things out that you don't want and keep the positive things. And that's what they're talking about with psychedelics. But before we jump into the psychedelic article, I want to ask you, have you ever had any personal experience with psychedelics yourself? Um, not really is probably my best answer. I, um, I'm not, uh, I mean, you know, I was a teenager mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I, I went to a very liberal college but it's not really been, it's not my thing. I, I have no, no judgment, you know, um, mm-hmm. just not, uh, it's not like an experience I enjoy. I have, I have bipolar disorder. So I think uh, that can have an effect, uh, certain, and it, it may be different for everybody. Right. But, um, I sense that perhaps any psychedelic experiences I may have had didn't have a very positive effect probably because of that. Um, yeah, but then that again, of, you know, yeah. Yeah, people are looking into these for mental health treatment. So I think, you know, there is a chance they could also be beneficial to some people. So I think they can. I've suffered from depression and um, I, I'm not bipolar, I, but I have some of the tendencies of the manic episodes, but not you know, an actual bipolar. But for me, it has helped me a lot. Um, at the same time, when I first started using them, this is why I like I like I like them on a legal market better, because when you first start when you're 16, a friend gives it to you at school and you just take it. You don't know what you're about to experience. And it was, my first experience was, was almost traumatic, but it did turn out, it ended great, which was fortunate, but it doesn't for a lot of kids end up great in these situations because they're not guided properly. And I think if I had, you know, went to it when I was in my early twenties that with a professional, it would have been a more positive experience. But, um, but so what the article that you wrote about was, I said, I'll read just the headline of it was um, eliminating hallucinations is key to turning psychedelics into mental health treatments that can be used widely, some say. Other are, others argue that it's impossible to decouple the mystical experience from the therapeutic effects. And um, now I'm also, I'm going to fall in the, the latter camp. And this is because I was thinking about this today, actually. I do a meditation every morning on my Oculus. It's, a, you know, the VR and it's called a trip app. 
And what it does is it kind of simulates a psychedelic experience through, you go through um, a breathing exercise and then a mental exercise, and then you go into a kaleidoscope. And when the kaleidoscope hits me, I feel like I'm having that mystical experience on a much smaller level than a psychedelic experience, but it's a piece of it. My body feels with energy. I can feel everything pulsing through me. I feel that empathy. I feel that neuroplasticity happening. I feel a little clear. And I'm basically, what, what that is to me is the exact opposite of what they're doing. They're trying to remove the mystical experience from the pharmacological experience. And I'm doing the opposite. I'm When I do that, it's taking the pharmacological aspect away and just having a small portion of the mystical. And I think the mystical is where we're getting where people are having these the neuroplasticity and i could be wrong it could be easily a combination of both but um what, what are your thoughts have you have you on this well i mean i will tell you what other people have told me right because i'm really just a journalist and i don't know that i have i come down either way on this argument so i do think that for a America or the world writ large, people have been told for years that psychedelics are dangerous. Whether that's true, I, I don't believe that's true, but I think that has given a lot of people pause and will prevent a lot of people from, a lot of people who could benefit from psychedelics from actually taking them. So if you could make them into a medicine where you could still have the effects of, you know, making depression. Uh, you know, where you make impacts on depression or PTSD or any of these disorders um, without without scaring people away, I think that's a good thing, right? I think it would make them more accessible. But at the same time, other people say, look, you just can't do that. That mystical experience is so important to having, uh, to seeing these benefits that you see. And Maybe my thinking here is a little scattered, but I also think it really depends on what it is you are trying to treat, right? I think PTSD is very different from something like, say you have a cluster headache problem, right? Mm -hmm. Do you really need to have that mystical experience, you know, to get rid of a cluster headache? Good, Probably good not, no. you know, like um, people are looking at psychedelics or derivatives of psychedelics. So, I, you know, there are a lot of different names for them. I don't know that anyone settled on one that's particularly good, but you know, something that doesn't give you the psychedelic experience, but still hits those same receptors that, you know, might be influenced um, to treat a lot of different things. And for some, I think you're probably right. The psychedelic experience is important, but for others, I don't know that it is. I agree with that. And also it is a teach their own. I think if someone wants the mystical experience and it's helping them, then that's great. If somebody else is terrified of that experience, because for some people it is traumatic, but they can still benefit from it without the experience, then we also want that. So I'm, I'm, I'm cool with both of them. I, um, I think that the, um, sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second, but the, uh, oh, well, there's another thing is the microdosing. If you look at microdosing it's kind of similar into what we're talking about. If you just take a smaller dose, you're going to get some of the positive, um, things happening in your brain, but you're not getting a full mystical experience. And, and that's become a very popular trend among uh, code writers is a big one, but people across all fields are using it instead of things like Adderall. And, um, and I, I was prescribed Adderall a while back and I did not find it very comforting. And I, I don't think, I mean, if it works for you, great, but I, I find that drug to be not very beneficial for my mental health overall. Whereas microdose and psilocybin I've tried and it does make, it does make me a little like everything, a little brighter, a little happier. I don't, do it regularly because I still don't know the long-term effects none of us do with microdosing. But 
I, I think that, that could, there's some future in that. And are they looking into the microdosing aspects alongside the, the completely redesigning the chemicals? I think, I mean, I think different people are. Um, there's a lot of investment and a lot of different companies looking at psychedelics, um, looking at psychedelic analogs. There are whole, they're just, there's so much money going into this study of psychedelics right now, or, you know, companies working on develop their own, developing their own psychedelics right now. But um, I think that's something someone probably is pursuing. Uh, I think it's a shame that for so long, we haven't been able to, you know, because of the government, we haven't been able to study these things. So, you know, people are taking these things. It's a reality. And we we don't know what the long-term effects are, right? Uh, someone I spoke to from my article pointed out that, you know, the same receptor that a lot of these psychedelics are known to hit, the 5-HT2A receptor, you know, they also will, because they're so similar, they'll hit the 5-HT2B receptor and that ha- can have cardiac side effects. And you just don't know what you just don't know what you're doing, right? Because we haven't had the chance to study these, um, even though we've known that they have interesting properties and could be interesting drugs for decades. Yeah, it's a shame we lost, you know, 30 to 50 years of research because of the the, the throwback against the counterculture movement of the 60s. Um, but I do, you know, if you look at the history, we have thousands of years of, of historical evidence of people using psychedelics, and I believe they're very safe. But the the microdosing and daily use is something I think is more new. I don't think the indigenous cultures used it in that way. Of course, we don't have that. They might have, we don't know, but how they use it now and the hunter and gather societies and stuff like that is they use it in very um, ceremoniously ritual things and they, they don't do it all the time. And I think what you're saying about that, because I have heard about the um, respiratory or not respiratory, the cardiac thing is that if, if you're just doing one big dose once or twice a year, I don't think you're going to have those problems. It's when you're doing it every day. And if it's hitting that receptor every day, that that's what we don't have the information on. I think that would be the concern. But um, so it's going to lead me to my next question. So uh, uh, for me, so we have a natural occurring drug in psilocybin that improves plasticity, empathy, it invokes forgiveness and understanding for oneself and others. And with this plant medicine comes a mystical experience, an experience our species and other species have sought out for thousands of years. So, you know, what is it about our culture that we so fear the mystical experience that we would spend time, energy, money to try and demystify something and hope that we could still get all the benefits without the experience? And to me, it's almost like that. Like everybody wants, you know, the, the trophy culture, everybody gets a trophy, but this is like a trophy for the spectators. Like you're going to get all the rewards, but you don't have to earn it. And people that are into psychedelics like myself, but I do see both sides, but I believe part of it is going through the mystical experience that is going to be hard and going through that hard experience is what creates growth and creates that helps you heal, helps you heal your depression or PTSD, whatever that is. So what, like, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh. It's so interesting you describe it as work. Um, do you really feel like it is like it, it is like a working experience? Oh, you know? it is. When, uh, I, when I go when I decide I'm going to have a trip, it's never like, yeah, let's get high. It's always like, all right, I'm nervous. This is going to be and because there's always a crossover, a place where you start to lose your grip on this reality and your ego and who you think you are, and it starts to slip away, and it's scary. But you have to let go, and I've gotten a lot better at just letting that go, and then going into the experience with open arms and open eyes and just letting it happen. And then you gain a lot out of it. And some of my worst trips when I was younger turned into the best trips. And that's why I kept messing with it, but they were terrifying at first. Cause I didn't know who I was. I was still figuring all that out. Mm-hmm. I think that 
a lot of people, I mean, I think a lot of people might be scared of that experience. And I think it's, there are also practicalities that I think would prevent people from, you know, doing, have, going on like an eight hour trip, um, you know, a couple times every month or a couple times every few months, you know, for over the course of a year as part of a therapy. Um, there's cost, there's, you know, time away from work, time away from your family, all these things. I think that the trip may be worthwhile for them, but I think also it's like, well, I mean, maybe it's just a cultural thing, right? Like, you know, say anything else you have to work hard to see a benefit for, right? Like uh, say running a marathon, right? Exactly. You have to run a marathon, right? Yeah. Like, I'd love to be in great shape, but I don't want to have to run a marathon to do it, you know, right. that sort of thing. Well, I think that's a, that's a good point though, because people do things to better themselves. And for most people, this is not a drug experience. Even for me, I, I'm into jujitsu and going to the gym. I do that far more than I use drugs uh, or use psychedelics. Psychedelics are few and far between. But people do make time to better themselves. And some of that's just they make time to watch TV. How many, I think the average American spends 28 hours a week watching television. And a, and a psychedelic mushroom trip is a four hour to, to six hour experience. And for some people, they'll do it once and say that's all they need the rest of their life. For other people, they might want to, they do it two or three times a year. But um, I, just to have the experience one time for some people would be enough to just, to just know that there's, it's, it gives like, for instance, the near-death experience or the end of life people that take it, it gives them a glimmer into something else that this might not be the final chat. Like when you leave this world, there is something else. What, what that is, we don't know. And not, we're not supposed to know for whatever reason, but it does give people hope that this is, that there is love surrounding all of us. And it, that's the feeling you get when it hits you. And, um, and I've even I've read stories of near-death experiences. They've described it just like the first time I smoked DMT, which DMT is the most, one of the most you know, powerful, potent psychedelics. It takes you immediately out of this world. And the first time I smoked it, it was like immediately the universe was pure love and it just wrapped me in. But it, but the cool thing about the drug was, is when I did it again, it didn't give me that love. It says, what are you doing back here? Like, I've already showed you that it's love. And that's why it's not an addictive drug. It's not like, oh, I'm going to keep smoking this because it starts to almost talk to you. And it's like, this is not where you're supposed to be. And I think that's what separates it from a drug like meth that's telling you it's pure love, but it's lying to you and it'll keep lying to you as long as you smoke it. But um, people with near-death experiences have described it the same way that they died and experienced pure love all around them. And, um, and I think that, that those kind of experiences you're not going to get. And, you know, from just taking a pill, when we take the mystical experience out, that the mystical experience is so important. And now, and again, not for everybody. I have friends that have taken psychedelic once and absolutely hated it, but I think it's because one, they didn't take enough they, that, to take them completely out of this reality. They were still holding onto their ego for dear life. And if you do that, it's just going to be a struggle for your whole trip and you won't have a good time. This is why the new legal markets are important because they can go to a therapist, a trained psychoanalyst that can sit with them and guide them through it and help them let go and help them have the true experience. Yeah, I think the therapy component is also a really important part of this. I, did, I mean, I write for chemists, right? So I didn't focus on that in my article, but I think that's, I mean, you can't decouple that whole mystical trip from the, th the psychotherapy component, you know, if you want to see the therapeutic benefits, I, I don't think. Yeah. So, and another thing that I worry about when you talk about all the money they're putting into this is now we have the, um, 
the incentive is financial. And if you say, well, here's a drug that, because you, you also said people worry about how much money it takes, how much time it takes. It takes six hours and it's virtually free. I mean, the street, the street price for, um, a, for one trip is like $25, but I mean, it's even cheaper to grow if, if they were just growing. But the thing is, there's no profit in giving somebody a $25 dose and saying you're good for the next year. But there is in making pills and making ways that they can market this and say, take this every single day and you'll, you'll be better. But I think the cost they've associated with, um, you know, with the psychedelic therapies that they're looking at is actually more like 90 percent of that goes towards the, the psychotherapy component. Right. Oh, Which we just yeah. talked about. So like that's, you know. And that would be something and, they could do. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. And the time component is it's the trip, but it's also preparing for the trip with your psychotherapist and then, you know, your time with your psychotherapist after the trip, um, sort of uh, debriefing from that experience. Gotcha. Well, and, and I, I get that. I do see there's a lot of people very cautious and I think it's, there's a lot of fear. I mean, we were driven, hitting very hard by heavy propaganda against psychedelics, people tearing out their eyeballs to look at themselves, people staring at the sun till their eyes melted, people jumping off of buildings because they could fly. And there's very little evidence of any of this actually happening. There may have, there's, there's stories where people commit suicide. It happens with, in all levels of society. But for the most part, even schizophrenia, that's the biggest fear that they talk about with psychedelics is you could take, you could have a bad trip and it could turn on your schizophrenic gene. But when you look at the, all the numbers of the, the amount of people that were using psychedelics in, in the San Francisco area in the 60s and the amount of people diagnosed with schizophrenia, the levels were the same and you know, they, they didn't go up. Um, so we think there's a lot of coincidence of people start doing psychedelics in their early 20s. People's, those genes usually come on around the same time. And not to say a traumatic trip couldn't trigger it, but the thing is something probably would have triggered it anyway. We don't have all the evidence, but I don't, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to support that it's going to cause schizophrenia. But um, so it may, but I was thinking too about this whole we're so scared of the mystical experiences. Like, imagine if if we found out some psychedelic drug cured COVID when COVID happened. Like, I don't think we would have used it for COVID until we figured out how to demystify it. They would have been like, well, we can't give everybody high because we're so scared. For some reason in our culture, we're so scared of people getting high and having a good time. And I don't know if this goes back to our Protestant roots of you know, I mean, I don't know. Well, I think. It's funny when I was writing the story, I was talking to my book group about it. Um, and, you know, I was talking about how people are looking at psychedelics as mental health treatments. And someone was like, we've been told all this time that psychedelics are terrible for us. Right. Mm -hmm. um, they can make you crazy. And I think that cultural message is really deeply ingrained. I think a lot of people don't want to or, you know, can't sort of break away from the messaging we've gotten for so long about it. Um, it is, I think we can find answers in indigenous cultures, though, if we look, because they've been using them for thousands of years. And we, there's cultures today, indigenous tribes that give psilocybin mushrooms to kids as young as four years old. And that to us would just sound in our culture crazy. And I'm, I'm a proponent for psychedelics. And it sounds crazy to me, because that's how we're raised. But that, the idea is that psychedelics are such a part of their, um, their spirituality. And again, this is not just getting the kids high. This is, and I, I don't know the amounts they give. I don't know if this is widespread across multiple tribes but it isn't it does occur and i just feel like that there's the trepidations we have because of the mystical experience i feel like we're losing out on possibly because so one of the things that one of the doctors said was um what was it um, doctors and researchers have many trepidations about psychedelics and say things like we need to be careful not to treat these things like a panacea 
and while I agree that they're not a cure-all, um, you know, for, you know, some of the more evangelical, like psychonauts, you know, they want to believe, I do believe our trepidations, that they're slowing down, they're slowing us down from discovering their true potentials, and um, they may be more negative, our trepidations, than if we wrongly give them to say someone with Alzheimer's or autism, and it were not to help, because there doesn't seem to be any negative things that would happen if they didn't work for the Alzheimer's, it wouldn't be like, it didn't work, and also he's now schizophrenic, like that wouldn't be the case. I think it's just, you know, when something looks good from a couple perspectives, it's really easy to say it looks like, oh, this could be amazing for all our ills. And I think right. that doctor was just saying, you know, I think we need to sort of temper that enthusiasm a little bit and, and actually, you know, test it before we say it's going to cure eating disorders and cluster headaches and Alzheimer's and, you know. All well, I agree. I things. agree with that. Cause like I say that the the psychic not in me wants to believe it could be a cure-all but i know it's not i mean i just it, how could it be and i've done psychedelics enough to know it doesn't cure all the problems not even depression if you wanted to cure depression you also have to work on your depression and meditation regular meditation is just as important as having a an occasional psychedelic experience and for people and that's another thing about the mystical experience for people who are scared of a psychedelic experience they, they still, a lot of these people will still benefit heavily from meditation because they're still getting some of the mystical from the meditation. And that's why I think the mystical is so important that you don't have to find it through the drugs, but are we going to be able to find a lot of benefits from psychedelic drugs without the myst mystical experience? I'm not so certain. Now the cluster headaches and stuff like that, that's interesting because we got to figure out what, if it does work for stuff like that, what is it that works? It might not be the mystical experience at all. So that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, like, do you need to spend, do you need to go see a psychotherapist and spend, you know, four to six hours tripping and then see the psychotherapist again? Cause you have a cluster headache. Probably not. You know, it's probably not. Probably not. I'm trying to think, was that the reason that um, Albert Hoffman first synthesized LSD? Was he doing work for headaches? Uh, what was he? I don't remember. I, 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 I could, <laughs> I, yeah, should I, don't. This. I should know this. I'm, pr I'm pretty sure I read it was head he was doing work for headaches. Um, Definitely. I mean, there's something in there because the, when you take the drug, it goes, you know, it goes right up into our brain. So it does, you said it latches onto the serotonin receptors in our brain, right? Because it's very similar molecule to serotonin. Um, yeah, it is similar to serotonin. I mean, depending on which, which molecule you're talking about, but like um, psilocybin. psilocybin. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. So now let me ask you this. Um, do you know anything about the research that's been going on with ketamine? Uh, just a little bit about what's in the article, um, you know, how it's been used for depression and Spravato has been approved um, as the nasal spray for, for ketamine um, or the, the ketamine nasal spray that's been approved for treatment of depression. Yeah, I'm The results from that seem interesting. They do seem interesting. I'm just wondering, because ketamine is an addictive drug, un unlike psychedelics. And I know the reason ketamine's the go-to right now is because it was already FDA approved before they started using mm -hmm. it for this. So they were able to quickly transition into the phases that they're using it for now, which is basically an elite uh, cure for depression. If you have $4,000, you can go to a clinic and pay up front. I looked into doing it for the podcast for research and, um, and also because I'm interested in possibility of it helping with depression but i had to weigh four thousand dollars i was like you know what i might be more depressed if i spend all that money it's, so. it's expensive i mean you know that's that's one of the things that people who advocate for you know making it and part of that treatment is also you know you go to someone's office and you have to take the ketamine in their doctor's office right so that's one mm -hmm. of the it's not just the it's not just the ketamine you're paying for right it's not just this bravado um that is rolled up in that cost I think that's why people talk about 
sort of making these so that you wouldn't have to go, you know, trying to find a drug that does all those good things, fighting depression without having things like abuse liability, like you say, or, um, or something that would require you to stay in a doctor's office for two to however many hours, um, because it could be more affordable. Yeah. Well, that was another thing is you had to have two days, they made you do two days a week for like six weeks or something and you had in their therapy, but you couldn't work those days because you're going to be kind of out of it. So now I'm taking off two days a week, which would be great if I got two days off every week, but um, yeah, it just, the cost just kept adding up. And I'm like, you know, this is a, a very expensive treatment. And, and I've um, listened to people on podcasts who have done it and said it worked great for a while. Then they got the nasal spray and then they started just feeling like I'm just doing the drugs again. Now I'm just addicted to this drug. So they had to quit that. And I think if we can get psilocybin and do the same kind of thing where we have a nice setting, I think I picture it more of like a spa setting, right. With the, with the psychiatrist and they go in and you, you take your psychedelics, you go through your guided trip. And then after that, you go back, you know, maybe once a week, but just to, just for therapy, talk about it. That's the, I think that's going to, we're going to see a lot of positivity from these centers that are probably, I imagine are already opening up in places that have been decriminalized like Oregon and um, Denver. And, and one of the cool things that happens in Denver is they have these uh, guides that you bring your own psychedelics, which have been decriminalized. So, you're, so there's no legal troubles here. You bring your own psychedelics, you take them and the person will guide you through for a small fee. And that's another, and very affordable versus the $4,000 mm. you're talking about like a hundred dollars. So we'll see where all this leads. I'm, I'm excited about um, some of the things and some of the things, the ketamine thing, I'm, I'm, I wonder about, I, 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 I'm curious. I think it's interesting because it's so hard to make molecules that we know act on the central nervous system, right? We know that that's really hard and we know that psychedelics do that. So I think that's sort of really exciting about them to have molecules that we know have that action. Um, you know, that get into your brain, but uh, it's, you know, it's just such a, it's a hard problem to solve making, making good psychedelic or making a good psychoactive drug. So I think if you can see benefits from the psychedelics, I definitely think it's, it's worth it, particularly because like, I know things like depression are really hard to treat, right? Major depression, there just aren't a lot of great options for folks. Um, It's also scary. I feel like sometimes we're just playing we're just like, here, put this chemical in there and see what happens and then come talk to me in a week. And then sometimes it's instead of like, it might be like, instead of, all right, that didn't work, let's try this one. Sometimes it's like, well, let me add this one to that. And then we'll add this one and then we'll take this one away. And I've seen it went to people's houses who just have pill bottles scattered that are from their psychiatric doctor. It's like, this doesn't, I don't, I think we're just, you're, you're a rat and we're, we're testing all this stuff on you. And that's what it looks like. I mean, I, you know, with my own experience with um, psychiatric illness, like, you know, it's very hard to find a treatment that works. You know, I think medicine, as much as we like to think of it as a science, it's really not always an exact science, right? There is a lot of um, people are different and they react differently to different medications. And it's so hard and it's so hard to figure out, you know, like this drug, it works for a little while and then maybe it stops working or, you know, there's so many factors that go into moods when you have a mood disorder that, you know, it can be really hard to settle on a medication. Exactly. I mean, I, I personally, I think it's hard to settle on a diagnosis with you call some one person bipolar and another person bipolar, but those two people's personalities react completely different to the same thing. I mean, these disease, everybody is so individual with their, and you know, I can really tell with, uh, with cannabis because you look at cannabis legalization and for like, for me, I can smoke pot and I have for a long time and I don't smoke a lot of it, 
but my wife can smoke the smallest amount and be uncomfortably high. And I can take an edible. If I take a 10 milligram edible, I am uncomfortably high. I do not like it. And I have friends that can take a hundred. So it's everybody's so different. And then that's what, so we go to a psychiatrist they they don't know what, how it's going to work for you. So they just got to start trying, trying. And it's just, it's kind of sad. That I, you know, what's funny. We'll go back to Bill Bryson. Have you read his book, the body? I have not. That is what is the latest one. So, so, so fascinating. So it's all about the human body. And he's such a good writer. He made something that would be an anatomy book. That would be the most boring book you'd ever read, the most interesting book you've ever read. But I, the biggest thing I took away from was how little we actually know in the medical world. I thought we were so much further than we are. When I read his book, I was like, there's so many things they don't know that they're still trying to figure out. And um, the human mind is by far the furthest that we know about consciousness. Yeah. We have no idea. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering if, um, you know, how much we, more we would understand about consciousness if we had those 30 years back with research with psychedelics. I think you're right. I think we really missed a, a big window, um, you know, to, to studies. And I think it's also scared a lot of people off of doing research. It's so hard to do research on psychedelics. Um, you know, it's so hard to get the licenses you need to just to do the most basic research. If you work on a schedule one compound, it can take up to six months to get a license, to have that in your lab, you know, and there, there, you have to have, um, someone I spoke to told me about a whole safe system he had to build, right. Where no one sold it. Like he had to have it bolted to his office floor and like an elaborate security system around it. I wish I had my notes in front of me. Cause I was like, that's crazy. Um, just the, all the, all the stuff you had to do just, you know, just because of this one psychedelic molecule he was working with. Wow. I wonder if there's any mad scientists out there that just are just, just don't care about the system enough to be like, you know what, these drugs are, something's going to come over them. I'm not waiting the six months and they just synthesize some LSD and start working in the lab. It's gotta be those people out there. <laughs> I don't know them. They haven't come to me yet if they are out there. <laughs> I know they used to exist back in the, you know, when they first outlawed the drugs for years after that, there was still a lot of scientists that were, and a lot of them actually were still using it with government um, approval, but it, it all went away eventually. And um, it's just now coming back. I think that's, what's cool is that we're finally starting to see it come back. We can complain about the 30 years, 50 years we lost, but that doesn't do us any good. Now we can look forward and say, how, and I think that's another reason we're seeing the trepidations. We're seeing people move so slowly is they don't want it to get shut down again. If we go too fast and we start seeing, even it could just take, a few bad examples of millions and then they'll throw the propaganda out and say, we're shutting it down. So, yeah. well, it was um, so good talking with you. So I, um, one last question on that. I was just curious from a scientific mind about, about talking about consciousness. Um, do you think this is a, this, you might not have a, a, I don't know. Do you think the consciousness is generated in the brain? Just a physical, like, like, cause you know, you, a lot of, the theories are that without, I mean, without the brain, clearly we wouldn't have our, our subjective conscious experience. Or do you think consciousness is, I've heard the analogy of the radio. Like if you looked at, if we were, if a monkey was looking at a radio and heard the, the sounds coming out of it, it would assume there's a band in there playing and not being able to figure out that it's actually being, a, you know, shot in from a signal. Do you think our consciousness is actually coming from something else that we can't figure out? Or do you think it is just a generated in our own brains? I want to go with the generated in our own brain camp, but, but maybe that's just because like I'm a boring, <laughs> a boring physical scientist, right? Like, a, you know, I think, um, yeah, I think that's probably where I come down on it. 
it's uh, it's chemistry happening in your brain doing it is well so i was thinking about the dyson friedman i think is his name the book uh, infinite in all directions he gave an analogy is like imagine if you could be teleported to mars he's like so what they do is they deconstruct all of your molecules and they re they, you know scan them deconstruct them and reassemble those same exact molecules in the same exact order on mars immediately boom boom now you're on mars but let's say they had some problems with, and so to make sure they didn't have any problems when you were reassembled they waited until you were completely reassembled on mars before they deconstructed you here so here you are you go in they scan you and then they say hey good news you made it to mars now we're going to deconstruct you you'd be like wait like <laughs> like that's not me i'm still here so that was not just going to kill me and then it made me think well what, what would actually be happening there because my first thought is i was had a really psychedelic kind of thought of well what's the difference between that scenario and that could be happening an infinite number of times every second in my life right now so i got you know went down that rabbit hole of thought but then i was thinking what would realistically happen if we did that is we would create a corpse you would just build a molecule that would be dumped and it would be a corpse because we don't know how to turn the lights on. We don't know how to put consciousness into those molecules. I would say that molecules are, like those biological processes are alive, right? There are molecular reactions going on inside you right now that are alive. But your thought experiment reminds me, did you ever see the Christopher Nolan movie, The Prestige? A long time ago. I have to rewatch. I, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin it for anyone. No, no, no. I've, I, no, it's, it's an older movie. You can, we'll say, well, <laughs> or if you're about to watch the prestige, fast forward. Fast forward. Don't listen to, don't listen to this. No, but that's exactly what's happening to um, Hugh Jackman's character, right? He's he's making a copy of of himself and then killing that copy of himself each time, like each time. Or he, I have to remember exactly how it happens, but he he drowns each time, right? He goes in the tank. He makes a copy of himself and then the copy that's in the tank drowns each time. He has like. I'm going to have to watch that. You know, I don't think I've seen it now that you're talking about it. <laughs> oh, no, I ruined it for No, you. no, it's I'm great. It's, it's, it's my fault. It's an older movie. I'm going to watch it tonight. The Prestige. This kind of thought experiment is always fun. I, I, I end up, you know, just going over them in my head, constantly thinking about the, the meaning of life. You know, it's a, it's a life's a weird thing. I, it, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but the cool thing is the one thing we know for sure that it is an experience and that that's the one thing we know we're here to do. At least I think it was Alan Watts who said, uh, you know, we are the universe looking back at itself. And that's a really cool way of looking at life is that we're just experiencing ourselves subjectively, you know? That is cool. Um, do you have any other questions about chemistry or anything? Um, yeah. So um, how can I get you to make me some LSD? No, I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. Um, I honestly don't know enough about chemistry to have any more questions than what I wrote down. I um, I took a chemistry class in high school. And that's about as far as I. I and you didn't like chemistry in high school? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't like high school. And I hate that I didn't like high school because once I got out of high school, I dropped out of high school and then I went um, to college and I loved college. I dropped out to play music. And that's what I'm doing now which is great. I get to play music full-time and it's awesome. A good life. But I do, I do I really um, wish I'd enjoyed school more when I was in high school. Um, LSD isn't hard to make. You just, I mean, to make from scratch. Oh, tell like, us how. I'm going to write this down. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to find on the internet, but you need to get the, the basic precursor. Those, I've never those, those made it, I should I'm, say. I'm pretty sure that they've made those it's, pretty hard to get. It's pretty tied down, yeah. But, um, well, I to tried convert. to grow, I tried to grow my own mushrooms, which I'm sure is way easier and I couldn't even do that. So 
I'm just not good with stuff like that. I just let other people handle it. Um, you know, I, I can't wait till we can grow our own pot. You know, we have me medical marijuana here, but they won't let you grow it yourself, which is ridiculous, but I'd like to get into doing that, but I don't want to do anything that's going to land me in jail. So. Yeah, no, I hear that. So that's the rule in Florida. You can't grow your own. Nope. There's, I think there's just a few big companies that have kind of a monopoly on it. And I think that's why we're not trying to push for recreational now. I know the reason our Marco Rubio just wrote me a letter. So I'm working on a special podcast as a response letter to his letter about why he doesn't want to um, do recreational cannabis because it's, he's worried about the current drug crisis. It's like, it's not a drug crisis. It's an opioid crisis and cannabis could help, but he wants to anyway. And it is ridiculous. It's all for money. They, they, they have everybody that wanted the cannabis legal, got it. Now they're making money on it and they just want to keep it that way. And I've seen kids, um, the, uh, a poor black kid I was talking to, you know, younger, didn't have a lot of money, got pulled over and got a felony for a pot um, thing he had. And, um, and now he's going to have to go to rehab and all this stuff because he can't afford to go get a medical card. And it becomes so now pot's legal. If you have money, you can go to a doctor. Anybody can get it. You can go and just say you have a headache. It doesn't matter. You can get it if you have money. But the kids that are poor that are smoking are still getting felonies and getting locked up for it. So that's a big problem. That is a problem. Well, uh, do you have, is there anything that you would have liked to talk about that I did not bring up? No, I, I think this was good. Um, I'd say, you know, if anybody wants to read my article, I think you can read it uh, on, let me, let me look and see what our website is real quick. Uh, it's at cen.acs.org and um, just put in psychedelics in there and my article should come up if anybody wants to read it. I think you get one free article uh, before you hit the paywall at the magazine. So um, maybe you'll see something else at the magazine that will interest you more that our, our cover story this week is about um, plastics recycling. So uh, lots of lots of cool chemistry stuff in there. Very cool. They're figuring out a way to uh, make biodegradable plastic finally. Uh, it's more about uh, it's a little more complex. It's about some states that have um, expanded plastics recycling, but are you know is what they're doing actually recycling. So uh, my colleague Cheryl Hogue wrote that article. She's she's really an amazing journalist. So. Awesome. I'll have to check that out and I'll urge my listeners to also check out that article and the article on psychedelics. Interesting. And it's great talking with you. Very, very interesting conversation. I really loved that. Thank you so much for inviting me on, Aaron. It was really nice to talk to you. Um, I hope I've been a good guest. You were a great guest. It was so nice to meet you. And thank you so much for being on here. Thank you. If you ever have any chemistry questions, look me up. All right. Will do. All right. Bye. Peace out. All right. Peace, Nicks. Thanks for listening. If you like what we're doing, go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, at the Peace on Drugs Podcast. Sign up to our newsletter. Go to www.thepeaceondrugs.com slash subscribe. Thank you for listening. And as always, we're going to let Twiggy Branches take us out. out. You pay for what you can't.